Welcome to the Azure Podcast, a weekly podcast to keep you up to date on what's new on our cloud platform, Microsoft Azure. Your hosts, Cynthia Crane, Evan Basilic, Suji DeMello, Kenno Roden, Kel Teeter, and Russell Young discuss a different service or solution on each show with subject matter experts to explain how to get started, how different services work, and how to make decisions in tricky scenarios. You can find out more about our podcast at azpodcast.com or follow us on Twitter at Azure Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Azure Podcast. Um, this, I'm your host, Evan Baslick, um, joined by my fellow co-host, Kale and Sajit. Um, and we are joined by our special guest, Sean Klein, today. Um, we are recording this on uh, January 10th of 2024. Um, and today we're going to, it's going to be a little bit different because we're not going to be talking about an Azure service or an Azure product per se. We're going to be talking about some of the systems behind the scenes, um, something called Azure PLR, which is what we use, what we, um, where we spend our time talking about when things don't go quite the way that we want them to. Um, but Sean will fill us in on, on all that. I actually have a question, which I should know the answer to. I will ask when we get to it. Um, Sean will probably laugh at me when I ask it. Um, but uh, Sajid, I think you said you had a little bit of news. I did, but first I want to ask you. It says, "Ask me about my podcast on your T-shirt." <laughs> what, 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 which so, podcast is this, man? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Some podcast that I, yeah, I don't know. This is so. Uh, my wife gave me this for Christmas, and and I'm, I'm gonna go with it's because she loves me, not because she's making fun of me or anything. Like I, that's that's my story, and I'm sticking to. It. Although I will tell you guys, and and um, Sean, I I don't know if you knew this, but we've been doing this show for 11 years. Now we're almost up to uh, this is episode 484, um, and uh, I don't I can't remember when it was. Did you remember we used to have a paper little advertisement that had our pictures and you know what we talked mm-hmm. about just, you know, ages ago? Um, and I had one hanging at my desk, um, and I when I was away for vacation, um, I can't remember whether the team gift wrapped some of the things in my cube or they put cardboard up. They did something to my cube, and the and that sign was hanging there. And my wife said. Wow, your team, you know, they 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 must really be giving you a hard time. They did whatever to your desk and they made fun of your podcast. And I said, um, that's supposed to be a real advertisement. <laughs> um, so she's not a fan. She doesn't listen, so she won't hear this. But um I, we're gonna go with she loves me. Um I did get a that's microphone good. too. I, I I'm waiting to use it um in another show. I couldn't get it set up in time today. So um, cool. Well, um, yeah, let's get to your, your news then. Yeah, a couple of uh, quick ones, uh, both uh, related to Azure load testing, the Azure load testing service. Uh, so one of the most common scenarios with uh, load tests is that you want to access some key vault secrets, right? Maybe you're testing an endpoint, the endpoint needs a, uh, like a code or an ID to pass in or some credentials to log in, etc. And now you can use um, Azure Key Vault. So you can connect the load test to Azure Key Vault to say, okay, I'm getting these uh, uh, you know these secrets from there, and uh, even even better, you can access them even if the key vault is uh, made private, right? So if it's behind a, a VNet or you have firewall restrictions and whatnot for it, you could still access uh, that key vault. So I think that, that's the critical part of you know because typically when, you're, when they're running these load tests, you know they're, it's running in a in a uh, in, in, in an environment which is not to the public, right? Nobody wants to run a load test uh, on a publicly available service. You know you want to test it before you make it available uh, to the public. So I think this is the key part of it, uh, just uh, allowing you to access those key vaults and also uh, allowing you to access private key vaults. 
A second uh, update to to um, Azure load testing. Typically, when you use Azure load testing, and we talked about this a while ago when we talked about the service, you have to write something called a JMeter script, right? Uh, it essentially uses JMeter, which is a longstanding, uh, very old uh, testing framework, uh, typically used uh, in, in Java, but now used everywhere. And, and JMeter uh, lets you, uh, you know, create these complicated scripts so you can kind of test all your infrastructure. But the problem is that you need to know JMeter, and not everyone knows it, right? I mean, it's, you know, uh, so there's that learning curve about using, uh, learning how to use JMeter first before you can use Azure load testing. But now they've added a new feature where uh, you don't even have to know JMeter. All you need to know and give it is the, uh, the URL of the endpoints that you want to test. So pretty much like curl-like functionality, you know. So you know if you could use curl, which most people can do these days, uh, you can use uh, Azure load testing. So they've kind of made it uh, a lot simpler to start using that service. So I think uh, these are two good updates uh, in the Azure load testing space. Great, cool. Thanks, Ajit. Um, Sean, b before we get to you, um, let's go, if you could introduce us, um, tell us what you do here uh, at Microsoft. Um, and then also answer my question, which I, I, I should know the answer to. I went looking and I can't find a definitive answer. I'm hoping you can tell me. So so what do you do? And then what does the P in PLR actually stand for? What's the <laughs> official answer for that? Uh, I'll start with the intro. So I'm Sean Klein. I'm a uh, technical program manager. I joke that um, that means technically I'm a program manager <laughs> in, um, um, in ASRAEL, Azure Reliability Engineering. Um, my main role is incident analysis, uh, what I call modern incident analysis. That's ensuring that when we have a unplanned event, an outage, incident, any sort of uh, deg degradation, that we um, we learn as much as we can from that, uh, with the goal of making production better, uh, adding adding resiliency, resilient behaviors to a to the system. Um, to answer your question, uh, so PLR is the production life site review. So it's production. I, somebody told me it was product. I went, uh, but I couldn't find the official answer. Yeah. I was okay. in a discussion uh, uh, with some peers of mine, um, sort of an external community, uh, a few weeks ago. And every everyone pivoted on the second word, like live site. What is live site? What does that mean? <laughs> because it's sort of a holdover from from yeah. um, you know and before DevOps and SRE yeah. were a big thing. Yeah. Live site was this differentiated between a product and a service and how we yeah. how we ship stuff. That's funny. Cool. I like it. I should know this, but we just always call it PLR, right? So, yeah. Um, you were mentioning this podcast has been going on for eleven years. I think PLR is the only meeting that's long that that's older. It, it's uh, been older yeah, that. it's been around as long as I can remember. I've been doing Azure yeah. since before it was Azure, and it's been around as long as I can remember. Um. So yeah. So so great. So we got this name, production lifesite review. Um. You know, you define lifesite in this context. You know, like you said, it's a little bit of a holdover, but like. What are we actually, what are, what do people actually talk about in this meeting? Like what actually goes on? You said it's relative relative to incidents, but yeah. you know, what is it, what do we actually talk about? It's a lot of things. It's a I think of it mostly as a learning forum. Uh and, and so with the the history of it, it's where uh Azure leadership came to review outages. Uh when when an unfortunate event happens, we put together uh what what industry typically calls a post-mortem, we call retrospectives, but it's the, now that everything's over, everything's, you know, the impact is gone, 
what are the things that we need to learn from that to make it to make it better? Um, so how do we keep it, it from not happening again? Basically, is, is yeah, is yeah, yeah. That's that's the sort of the the ultimate goal is to add resilient behavior into the service and the and the environment and the and the organization. Um, the idea of you know preventing this exact incident from happening again is a bit of a holdover from from legacy frameworks. The the systems that we deal with right you know now that that operate at the at the scale and the complexity that that we're that we're dealing with um the the idea of a repeat incident gets super muddy yeah. because it, it's never going to happen the exact same way again there's going to be different contributing factors and different um people involved and different uh it's going to manifest uh differently for the customer for that impact and so the idea is um rather than you know this is this is one of the tenets of modern incident analysis, which I differentiate from from some of the older frameworks is um, rather than hyper focusing on the one thing that went wrong that caused this incident and then fixing it. It's how do we abstract that and have a larger discussion about like the thematic things that that occurred that made this inf- incident difficult to deal with and impactful for our customers. Yeah, Sean, one kind of word I've heard a lot uh, or set of words is root cause analysis, right? Every time we have one of these incidences, I believe we put out an official, uh, is that still called RCA post, or root post, cause? Post incident report. My, my statement yeah. people yeah. had on the show in the past will yell at me if I call it an RCA. Post incident okay. report because there's multiple, I'm, I'm trying to channel my inner Sammy. There are multiple <laughs> root causes for the incidents. You can't call it a root cause report. Yeah. Okay, good. So in that context, where is this meeting held? I guess that was my question. Is it after all of that is finished or in the middle of all of that discussion? Uh, it's all, and in a lot of ways, it's the end result of that of that process. Um, I, I, I still use the term the term RCA just because it's so heavily embedded in our in our history. Um but the distinction that I make is that like there there is there is not a root cause. There is not a single uh, a singular root cause. And that that I think is probably I, I'm a bit of a zealot with this uh, with this concept. <laughs> and I think that concept has been super, super damaging to um, not just not just software and cloud, but like a lot of industries that that hyper focus on trying to find like the one smoking gun thing that caused this incident to happen. Um, a lot of other other industries have a, a, a sort of a head start or you know decades worth of uh, of um, an advantage on on us and software in in that style of thinking. Um, software we're so we're engineering focused we're so engineering focused and we love these patterns and these sort of simple simple stories and so that that um that allure of like the smoking gun one thing that we can fix to prevent this from ever happening again is embedded in us um i think of root cause as like the root system of an organization like if you're you know picking dandelions out of your backyard you can't just rip the dandelion off and call that solved because there's a whole root system and if you don't get all of the roots then the weed is going to come back and so if i could i would pluralize roots 
and the roots cause analysis <laughs> and get that. But the, the, the idea is that there's not one thing that you can fix that will prevent this incident from ever happening again. Uh, you have to, um, you have to look at all of the events and conditions that were, that were present that allowed, uh, that allowed, you know, the storm of events to come and, and cause customer impact. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. yeah to expand on that, maybe uh, make an example is easier for me to understand a lot is like, uh, let's make a fictional one. Like, uh, this used to happen to me a long time before Microsoft, you know, SSL certs, call them TLS now, but would expire. <laughs> right. Yeah. And cause an outage. Right. And so in that case, like, if you think about it, like it, with a singular focus, it's like, well, the problem was the cert expired, so we fixed it and it's done. But to expand on what you're saying is you guys take a more broader look to say, like, well, who's managing the certs and why didn't they see that this thing happened? Maybe you could expand on, like, an example like that would help you. Know? Yeah, that's a great example. And, and that's that's um, historically like that would be the fix, right? Oh, the cert expired. We renewed the cert. So this exact incident will never happen again. Well, so modern incident incident analysis is going to say start in the customer impact, not not the failure mode, not the thing that happened, but what was the customer impact, and then what were all of the things that needed to be true for that customer for the customers to to experience that impact, including the the duration, scope, magnitude of of the impact, um, and not just the when I say what are all the things that needed to be true, not just the engineering um failures but like what what affected our response like when we talk about incident duration uh how did we detect that incident did the customer tell us uh, tell us about the, uh, the 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 impact or did we detect it how quickly did we detect it how long did it take us to um sense make the 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 issue to, to correlate it and determine like what was actually going on and what were the tools and dashboards and and tribal knowledge that we used to to make sense of the impact and and correlate it to a, a failure mode with a you know a, a trigger that opens up everything all of a sudden everything's on the table to analyze and look at you know um uh documentation can all of a sudden be a source of resiliency in the organization because eventually somebody's going to have to like oh i've seen this before how do i fix it how quickly can i get to this you know method or standard operating procedure or how quickly can i find the person who has the ability to fix this what i think you said something earlier um that that i think you, you sort of jumped over but i think is a really key piece you mentioned that this is not a software industry problem, right? This is an everywhere industry. And unfortunately, we're yeah. we're a little bit behind on this. Are are we learning from the other industries or, you know, when we're just sort of late to the game? Or is there something unique about software that, that makes our challenges differently in your mind? Um, it... That's probably a whole different podcast. I could talk for <laughs> I could I could talk for hours okay. on that. But um no, you're not wrong. So so um a lot of what we're doing, um when I say modern incident analysis, um, it borrows heavily um and is sort of an offshoot or a progression from um safety science. So okay. uh um dealing with uh safety critical systems like aviation and medical um energy and utility sy systems where when they fail, they cause harm or casualties, death to, to humans. 
um that uh that science that that domain had a big renaissance in uh like the 90s uh 80s 90s uh, 2000s um from based on a lot of big high profile events three mile island uh, nuclear disaster challenger uh spatial challenger disaster um the the research coming out of that industry uh basically exists after 1980 um yeah. and it, and it changed how uh how we deal with um designing those systems but also investigating their 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 failures uh and and the impact of their of their failures software was sort of immune from that for for a long time you know ah, cloud didn't exist <laughs> back That's my email back i can live without my email for a little bit right, right? yeah yeah, yeah. Um, it wasn't until about 10 years ago, um, and this is a super co like you know distillation of, of history. So don't like write a book about this <laughs> or anything. But um, it wasn't about 10, 10, 11 years ago is when um, uh, John Allspaugh wrote a blog post when he was CTO of Etsy about um, how Etsy conducts post mortem investigations for their software system failures, uh, and that's where most of us became familiar with the concept of the blameless postmortem. Um John yeah, we is, use that is, term all the time. Right. And and John is um credited with coining that coining that term. Uh, the blog post is still up. I go I encourage I go and read it, you know, a couple times a year. I, I, I encourage everybody to go to go read it because in the in that blog post is um he's referencing a lot of research that came from safety science in the decades before. He references like Sidney Decker and Eric Hollingold, people that have, people that have spent their careers in um, researching safety critical system failures. Now, in the ten years after Blameless came out, a lot is a lot more has happened, and software has realized that we can really, really, really learn from safety science. Safety science understands that now, now that software is involved, like we we innovate at a pace way faster than you know uh, an airline company can produce airplanes or or things like that. So there's sort of a give and take. There's an opportunity for us to learn. Uh, from their decades of research there's an opportunity opportunity from from them to learn from us also we don't talk about this a lot but um cloud is becoming safety critical it is, right we yeah. we are we are we don't have a lot of control over how people use our services and i'm not just talking about azure all, all cloud providers are like this and so there'll come a time when when it's considered when azure is considered a you know a, a dial tone must be on if there's a failure, it can cause harm, uh, you know, platform. And so um, that's my that's my uh, uh, sort of uh, calling here is to make sure that, like, we're ready for that. <laughs> and, and, and typically, Sean, when you have one of these meetings, you know, what are some of the give me an example of some of the outputs of some of these meetings, right? Or some of these yeah. discussions, uh, you know, is it in the form of uh, process changes doc i think you mentioned documentation a little bit yeah. uh, is it like are there going to be updates made to some deployment code or what you know like what kind of impact can these meetings have directly so the big thing and this is where it gets a little bit squishy but this is a, a an important part of modern incident analysis is that um our our process is our product 
the the i the idea that we have a retrospective and the, the end result is this document that has a uh, a narrative of everything that went wrong and that um then we have a meeting like the production lifesite review where we discuss it the the emphasis isn't necessarily on the fixes that we're making to prevent this type of incident from ever happening again. Obviously, that's a key part of it. But what differentiates modern incident analysis from like historic frameworks like like ITIL problem management is that there's a lot of effort before you get to that part about learning what happened, what went wrong, how the system is designed to behave to begin with, all the things that that um, countered that, all the things that 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 failed, and then sharing that knowledge as as broadly as possible. And so our goal is to create learning opportunities along the way for as many people as possible. Um, the worst case scenario is sort of how what what happened with concepts like like problem management is when the that postmortem process becomes operationalized to the point where it's a uh, it's a checkbox it's a thing we had an incident and so the person with the most knowledge in the organization about that incident writes the postmortem you know hits submit in whatever system of record and then nobody ever reads the postmortem nothing ever happened there like maybe best case scenario is we identified a fix that was probably already in some engineering team's backlog and prioritized that fix. Uh, maybe we added a monitor for that exact scenario. So if it happens again, we might catch it again. Those are super, super incremental, small, you know, uh, fixes that may or may not add resiliency to the to the system so, so, so the focus is yeah. about kind of permeating this information to to as many people as possible right the distilled information or the learnings from there yeah and so the way that i the way that i um position it is that a, a successful post-incident process has two goals um the 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 learning and sharing part and then the fixed part but order of operations matters historic frameworks indexed heavily on the fix and if that's all you're doing the fixing then um you might actually be causing harm and and losing resiliency from your from your system because the fixes aren't super well thought out and aren't um oftentimes aren't aren't um aren't solving the problem that actually that actually happened. And I, and I just thought yeah. of something, and you know, Kale, uh, I'll let you go after this, but I'm imagining that this does require some buy-in from all the product teams too, right? I mean, essentially, they're going to have to say, okay, yeah, we're going to read Sean's, uh, you know, dissertation on this particular uh, issue and, mm-hmm. and, 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 and figure out, you know, does it impact us, right? Do we have to yeah. make any changes to Azure Key Vault or whatever it is uh, to uh, implement some of those? So uh, how close is that? What's the commitment from the product teams uh, to, to, to kind of uh, take your, uh, your analysis seriously? So that's the that's the benefit of this this meeting, the production lifesite review form is it's a it's a leadership form, but it's open to I think uh, over a thousand people and every and we have it every week. Regularly have hundreds of people in this meeting. Right. Regularly. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, that 
that forum is where the idea isn't that we present the story of the incident wrapped up in a, you know, in a package with a bow on it so that nobody has to like really think about it. Right. It's not a lecture. It's supposed to be a discussion. And we we want as many people involved in that discussion as possible. Um, and so the idea is also the idea isn't it isn't me telling everybody what they should be doing i didn't it's not that an incident happens and then like sean comes in and writes a paper about it and then presents the paper to like scott guthrie it's very much a um it's a it's a framework it, the 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 postmortem or the, the the retrospective i'm still trying to <laughs> still trying to change my behavior here um, the retrospective is very much meant to drive drive the discussion because that's how we add resiliency in into our into our system. I mentioned I mentioned earlier the the emphasis being um, or the order of operations mattering that we want to learn and share as much as possible, then also drive fixes. The part that a lot of people don't get is that that first part, just learning and sharing without doing any fixes can add resiliency to the system because now people um, that will be involved in system design decisions moving forward, people that will they'll be involved in incident response moving forward, they have a more informed mental model of how our stuff works and can uh, uh, make better decisions, uh, either either predictive or reactive decisions just with that mental model. Now, of course, we're also going to do fixes. We're going to do both of those things. But my goal is to make sure that those fixes are super well informed and and crowdsourced and that we're doing the right thing, not just presenting the fixes that we're going to do to the audience so that everybody can feel better that this thing will never happen again. Got it. Yeah, it was just just to tail on to what Sajid was talking about it thinking about it i think there's things like i mean i've had situations myself where like people come back and say hey this is what happened you know with with something we built and say yeah we're not going to fix that right um for whatever reason right it's not because we don't want the service to be resilient it's because you know of that's going to cost ten thousand hours and there's no way it's not worth it right to fix that thing so those are the kind of things i feel like they would be really hard and i've always kind of struggled with that myself like how do they make sure that that it doesn't happen again even though it's like a known issue type thing you know like well and a lot of that i think that was one of the um one of the common sort of uh, complaints with with problem management, with with ITEL problem management, is you had this centralized team who was now like tracking repair items for other teams, for other other engineering teams, which one goes across uh, goes against a lot of the 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 ethos of modern DevOps and 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 SRE, but also like I'm not the engineering manager. You like you tell me what's important. I'm going to tell you I'm going to tell you that like, you know, that that section of your code or system was involved in this customer impact. But I'm you tell me, like, if it's important, what your budget is, you know, what your priorities are. And there are other ways to to um, mitigate the chance of customer impact versus, you know, a wholesale rewrite code rewrite of of that portion of the system. We can, you know, 
we can have workarounds or wh- whatever. But that's a business de- decision. My my goal is to make sure that as many people are informed with with the information that they need in order to make that business decision. But that was a a common complaint and sort of friction point of of historic post incident frameworks was that who's the central team of you know people that are telling me that I'm behind on my repair items now. <laughs> it, it, this is this is great, John. I mean, I think this is a side of our our business and our operations that people, I mean, people know about outages. They know about the products and the service. They don't know really sort of how we respond after it. Um, yeah. Is there any sort of um, any last message or thoughts that you want to leave the audience with? Oh, um, yeah. Well, I, I haven't. Besides, maybe. get a copy. Besides, clone Sean for your own org. I mean, like. <laughs> Actually, I, I, my, I was going to ask something similar. Like, should our customers be adopting a similar forum, right? Our Azure customer, especially the most important Azure customer. Let's put it that way. You know, the ones that you know, have to be on, like I said, yeah, their utility, maybe their idea a lot with financial services customers, for example. Obviously, there are, uh, you know, some that have to be on all the time. Should they also think about creating similar forums uh, for their incidents? <clears throat> Absolutely, yeah. And that's um, that the whole, you know, learning from incidents is a, is a um, pretty fundamental part of modern i don't even want to use the term devops but like sre and then resilience engineering is is the i guess the emergent um uh, concept about how organizations and systems um define and build and and maintain and deliver resilient systems or systems with with, with resilient characteristics um there's not really a set like and, and i would shy away from like a set um prescribed methodology for for what we do and i think that's one of the that was one of the downfalls of problem management is that um it was so prescribed in how you do something and how how you do post incident post incident activities that um it didn't fit in a lot of organizations real world you know business uh which is what we're seeing now with like DevOps and SRE. DevOps, the, the way that Google does SRE isn't a way that, you know, every organization is going to do SRE. And we're learning that now and we're adapting and Microsoft does SRE way different than, than, than Google. And that's great. Modern incident analysis is the same, is the same way. There's some core guiding concepts. I mentioned no, no root cause, like you're, you're, your incident does not have a root cause. Stop looking for it. Instead, look for all of the events and conditions that contributed to the to the incident. I call them, you know, I call them, we call them contributing factors. And so, you know, stop looking for that smoking gun. The other is how we treat um, human error. Like the concept of human error doesn't exist in modern yeah. incident analysis. There's this great... Um, uh unfortunate unfortunate event it was like two weeks ago there was a subway crash in new york city um two trains collided which is a super super rare event uh and the luckily nobody um nobody died but there were i think 26 or 28 um people hurt and the ntsb is investigating and the ntsb is sort of that you know the canonical you know post-incident uh, you know, reviewer, when people think about post-incident or accident analysis, NTSB is like right at the top of the list. The 
the chair of the NTSB in, during a press conference was asked about, you know, was this human error? And her reply was beautiful. It, it was human error is a system or is a symptom that the system needs to be redesigned, right? That means that our system failed the operator. It, it allowed the system, it allowed the operator to do something that caused harm. And so I go back to like the the example that I used about, um, you know, the, the the customer impact, what were all the things that needed to be true for the customer to experience impact. In this case, it's like, why did the operators not know, not have the information that they needed to realize that they were on the same track, that they were going to collide? Um, what are all the things that failed that, that allowed the these two subways to you know uh, occupy the same space time when the systems are designed for that to not do it not to occur um and then the other like so so no like you don't have a root cause human error doesn't exist um there's a an appreciation at very least an, an acknowledgement but an, an appreciation that the systems that we're dealing with are complex systems they don't fail for simple reasons and building a simple story around uh, a complex system failure is human nature we, we want to be able to do that but as soon as we start building that simple story around it, we're we're intentionally ignoring factors that that played a role in it. Um, and so there's this acknowledgement that that we are dealing with complex systems that have the behaviors of complex systems, and we need to uh, we need to uh, uh, appreciate that. Um, and then I guess the fourth the fourth um, sort of tenant of modern incident analysis that I would put forward is that what, what I talked about earlier is that learning, like that, that learning and sharing is the primary goal. Of course, we're going to fix, but there has to be, um, there has to be an emphasis on establishing that, that shared and accurate mental model of how our systems work and how they fail uh, so that we can, so that we can make good decisions later. Well, put. thank you. Great. Well, this is awesome, John. I, I appreciate you giving us the, you know, the, or giving our audience, you know, insight into, you know, how Microsoft and how Azure um, tackles this stuff. Um, it, it's a, it's a tough space because I think your point earlier is really, really valid. I, I would even say that today we see critical systems running on top yeah. of Azure. Um, right. So right. it's a thing today, I think, already for sure. So, um, great. So, G. Kale, good to see you as always, Sean. Um, thank you for coming on. Um, uh, we'll talk to everybody next time. My pleasure. Thank you. Bye, folks. Yeah, thanks, folks. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the show. If you have any thoughts, questions, or just want to connect, find us on Twitter at Azure Podcast. Background music has been taken from ccmixer.org under the Creative Commons license. We hope you'll tune in again soon to keep learning with us.